What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. You are listening to a special interview edition of The Playlist Podcast. I'm your host and podcast editor over at The Playlist, Eric McClanahan, and on this episode, I'm joined by director Jeremy Saulnier and star Anton Yelchin for a chat about their latest film, Green Room, opening this Friday in limited release and expanding nationwide April 29th. Green Room is Saulnier's follow-up to his breakout film, Blue Ruin, and both films share more than just a color in the title. It's an extremely tense, visceral cinematic experience following a touring punk band that takes a gig in rural Oregon at a venue run by neo-Nazis. When Yelchin's character witnesses a murder, things go from bad to worse as the film turns on a dime into a desperate survival horror action picture. Here's a clip from the trailer. I can get you guys a solid gig. Matinee tomorrow, doors at one, you guys are on a three. Gentlemen. You're trapped. Things have gone south. It won't end well. You can't keep us here, man. You gotta let us go. We're not keeping you. You're just staying. Shoot who is left. Let him bleed. Green Room was my film of the month selection on my recent April Films to See column over at the playlist, and Ollie Littleton gave it a glowing review when he saw the premiere at Cannes last year. Safe to say we're big fans of this film and can't wait to see what Saulnier has planned next. In the interview, which took place in the same Portland, Oregon studio where the actors who make up the film's punk band, The Ain't Rights, rehearsed, I asked him about what could be next and plenty of questions about the film at hand. So I'll drop you into our chat now. Please note, I was recording with a different mic at the very beginning of this interview, but I switched over to a better one. So if you get through the first 30 seconds or so, you're going to notice a much better quality of sound. Here's my interview with Jeremy Saulnier and Anton Yelchin from Green Room. You like movies where shit hits the fan, don't you? I do. I do, too. (laughs) You know, my my, my life is so fulfilling. I've got a beautiful family, and I get pastries in Brooklyn. I eat them. (laughs) But when I watch a movie, I want want to get goosed, man. I want something to happen. And I I love it when um, I can, or filmmakers can elicit a sort of involuntary response from the nervous system that's yeah. that's when i know it, it, it's fun when, when they're flinching and they're gasping when their heart rate increases it's it's the ultimate power as a filmmaker right right i'm drunk on it <laughs> this actually feels more like a, and i mean this is a hundred percent compliment feels more like a young man's like not naive in a young man's movie but mm-hmm. like uh the spirit of it and i think that was sort of the idea for you absolutely I, yeah there i was... read in an interview where you're like i wouldn't make this movie like a year later no you wouldn't i make wouldn't make movie. it right now damn yeah, it yeah <laughs> i certainly would watch it but um yeah i was fearing that i was losing the stomach for it i was getting too soft i i have referred to apocalypse now you know mm. saigon shit <laughs> I'm still in Saigon. Like, <laughs> Charlie's getting harder. I'm getting softer. 
I was not in that genre space. I had been out of the hardcore scene for 20 years, basically. Mm -hmm. So I figured, like, I, I still have whatever I, I could remember, whatever I could still archive, I wanted to do that immediately. And this is probably the most aggressive, hardcore, and violent movie I'll ever make. Mm. Um, because it is for my 19-year-old self. I, I wanted to celebrate the films that I love, and it was a pure joy of of learning how to do makeup effects and blow <coughs> up heads and run around and just have fun. And there's no compartmentalization or, or, or job descriptions. We just, as a collective goofy amoeba, just blurted out these amazing zombie flicks or whatever. Mm. Um, and I love punk and hardcore because it's the aesthetic. It's, it's, it's really dynamic. It's exciting. It's textured. Um, and there's so much energy that I felt has never been properly harnessed in a movie that I wanted to really exploit that. And, um, and I'm so happy I, I was able to, to kind of come full circle and have this wonderful archive. It's, you know, music that I heard in the 1990s, written by my high school bandmates, um, now on screen. And um, I think it captures, you know, it, it, it captures the, the energy and the texture of punk and hardcore, but doesn't get bogged down in ideology. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's one of the things I love about... I, I haven't seen Murder Party yet, forgive me, but I loved Blue Ruin and Green Room. Is There's this aspect of uh, your style that I think fits in with something that I think is slowly brewing for genre cinema mm -hmm. is simplifying things. Let's, like, cut away with, like... The movie doesn't have to be two hours and 45 minutes and doesn't have to have <laughs> be bogged down with exposition. You sort of, like character we learn character through motion through things happening in the film um i guess just talk about that like simplifying because this film like has those things for you to glean from that but yet mm -hmm. it's the embrace of the sort of simplicity that i love absolutely i think it's really for me especially with green room is just setting the stage you know, a very simple premise mm -hmm. and really taking a look at this sort of visualized environment that it takes place in and mining it for all the possible details and benefits um, I'm most proud of these these action sequences within mm. a punk rock venue. I mean, we were able to employ microphones and speakers and, you know, shitty bar kitchens and yeah. everything that would be there, uh, We I think we use to its fullest um, benefit. And uh, I, I just like to ground movies. I like to, to have, again, like keep them, by keeping them, sort of at a very human level a very base level uh, with a simplified premise you can extract so much more intensity and emotional uh, impact with an audience I mean it, it's it's funny I think if you we could do an infrared camera you know, all these superhero movies that are playing this summer versus an infrared camera on uh, people watching my relatively small scale action flick mm -hmm. you know i would i would bet money that the, the cameras would reveal the intensity and the, the sort of quote unquote thrill ride experience is 10 times greater in this s smaller world because it's so intimate and so impactful you know yeah i can confirm that 100% mm -hmm. uh, i saw this at a festival in vancouver bc last year Canadians are lovely people, but they don't often show much emotion when they watch a movie, I find. It's kind of like very, you know, calm, respectful. This movie woke everybody right up. Like, oh, and wow. it was a, one of the late night screenings there. Maybe not like, it was like a 9.30, but like, that's kind of late for, for some of us. And, uh, Canadians. But, yeah, but it like, it really has that impact. And I, 
after coming off of uh, Batman versus Superman, I saw it in a beautiful Cinerama Dome theater in Seattle, 70 millimeter. Silence. It's, yeah. Nobody cared. And so, yeah, I can confirm that. You, you've done your job. And I've seen it in a room full of critics uh, just the other day, and everybody was wincing at all the right parts, you know? So you've, you've done your job. You've done all it well, right. I'd say. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, and I just want to say, it's like to me, it's really refreshing how you've kind of... Um, I think you even referenced in the prior interview that some people might accuse this film of being like an emotional regression mm-hmm. for you, which, uh, and you kind of embrace that, something that I really like to hear, but uh, it, it, remind, it, it leads me to think that like you must have had a good offers coming your way when Blue Ruin was the success that it was. Um, did you get anything? Like, Were you tempted by the studio, studios, anything like that? Yeah, I've certainly gotten my fair share of submissions, but I, I don't know yet how to gauge if they're real or not. I mean, mm-hmm. I've had a couple of offers, but what I didn't want to do was get bogged down in development because yeah. that's real dangerous when you have some momentum and you have a certain idea of what you want to do. Um, you just want to support and to find like-minded partners. But what you don't want to do is start writing for studios um, and give away control and potentially have all your momentum evaporate because I've had friends that did that. It kind of took the bait, took some upfront money. And the thing about studio films is like, I love a lot of studio films. I do want to make studio films, not just because they're with studios or publicly owned companies because they're big and they can reach a huge audience and they, they, from time to time can have a huge impact. Um, But they can also put that script on a shelf. And if some other similar film comes out that spring they'll deem it a risk and not make it and if you want to buy it back they'll say nope and so that is something I was not ready to do Um, I'm I'm looking for it now but for for that period after Green Room I mean after Blue Ruin I just decided I needed to to still uh, keep control over the the creative content of my films because people are responding to them because you know, they're not better or worse than a lot of movies, but they're they're unfiltered and, yeah. and, and they're not normalized. <clears throat> so they do stand out. Like, mm-hmm. holy shit, I've never seen people in this kind of movie act like real people. <laughs> What's going on here? Now I'm scared because they're making decisions that I would make and it's not turning out well. And sometimes they'll turn a corner and get killed unceremoniously. And now I don't know what the rules are and what to expect and I'm terrified. Yeah. And that's just sort of being unfiltered and I think a lot of filmmakers want to do that and we I've, I've been lucky enough to skirt through the system where I'm not getting watered down or filtered too much and I get to do hardcore action <laughs> <laughs> exactly we need more of that there's just not enough and Anton I mean you've, you've been Kyle Reese before you've been in studio movies I'd, I'd, I'd love to know from that experience uh, maybe how do you compare that to working on a smaller scale with someone like Jeremy? And do you think this guy could, you know, put you, I'm going to put you on blast. Could he, could he step up and, you know, do you, would you love to see him work on a studio project? I mean, I, I have a very like uh, kind of fan approach to filmmakers. Cool. So I don't really have uh, an idea about what I'd like them to do. I only want them to do what they want to do. So yeah. whatever Jeremy does next, I just want to see it because I like his films, you know? Mm. And I'd say that if I hadn't worked with him, like I liked Blue Ruin before I knew Jeremy, so it doesn't really matter, you know? Right. I do like him now. What if I was like, I actually like Blue Ruin less now than I know Jeremy? <laughs> uh, It'd be no, gold, you, you know what I mean? Like, so, so as a fan, and I'm that way about any one of my friends whose films I like, I... I want to see what they do because I respect their craft, you know? So, uh, 
you know, big movies, they're just a very different beast. There's just, it's like, it's, it's very different. I think for me, when you're an actor, your job, at least the way I approach it, is essentially the same. Like, mm. you try to find whatever you want to create and how to be creative with as much honesty as you can, if that's what the picture calls for, because there will be, you know, self-aware films that maybe call for a different form of performance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that being said, I truly admire Jeremy's films for this this thing that I, myself, when I see them from a critical standpoint, I see that they're structured as genre pictures where where the genre is being sort of broken down simul- as an order, yeah. simultaneous to uh, and, and, and mimicking the characters trying to, their order being breaking down, yeah. you know? Yeah. So there's these, these two parallel things as if to say that any particular order breaks down, you know, that there's like a kind of entropy that is in motion at all times, and that the orders that we create, the, the spaces that we create, the... the particular articulations of like how we want life to be break down in the face of things being really absurd and genre is as much a an order and almost like an equation to a cinematic approach as anything else that humans do mm. and so i like that in 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 this film in in blue ruin you see characters that are struggling to create order out of absurdity and simultaneously these are genre pictures that are that break down certain genre tropes and ideas that we have sort of been used to seeing. Yeah. You know, and so that's 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 my critical breakdown of Jeremy Sonier's well, films. Well thought out. You know? Yeah, yeah. I'm, but, um, and so, I'm, I'm glad someone's thinking about my, my approach. Yeah. Because I'm not. But, but you know what I mean? So 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 from that from that end, like, as a fan, whatever Jeremy does next, yeah. like. But yeah, I'm sure if you were given $200 million to make, like, a giant crazy movie I'm sure it would be awesome you know? fuck yeah per whatever you know that is yeah and I mean therein lies the, the maybe the next question is like do you, do you want to do something like because it seems like there's not many options if you're going to go the 200 million dollar route you're either going to do a Star Wars movie or a comic book movie or something else do you th- do you see a way or I mean I imagine you might want to work towards a way where you can maybe make a hundred million dollar movie that you scripted that's one of your ideas like oh, maybe that, the Christopher Nolan route or something like eventually, that eventually I mean I, I mean, it's funny because one of my studio meetings after um, after actually after Green Room I was in post but really cool studio head and I was talking <clears throat> and I, and I had a few ideas that I wanted to write next that I wanted to explore and as an independent filmmaker I'm used to having ceilings and imposed <laughs> boundaries and I was ballparking like in a 15 20 million dollar range just you know I thought it'd be the next logical step is to to not go too big not an exponential increase in the, in the amount of in the scale of the films mm-hmm. and he informed me like it's got to be at least 30 million dollars and I was like, wait, why is that? It, it, it has to do with business. If you spend that much money, you trigger output deals, you trigger spending on prints and ads. So it's like, right. it's just, I definitely do. Uh, I want to be able to write without thinking about how it's going to be packaged. I just yeah. want to write stories. Yeah. And then and then see where they line up. I do know there's, there's a danger zone. And honestly, Green Room is right smack in the middle of the do not make the movie between three and six million dollars right. zone. Like a is, union movie? You've said that before. Yeah. With three, yeah, it's, that was told don't not do to it. do that. And we're like, we went right there. And, it's fitting um, for a punk rock movie that you would It that, is, you know? but it, was, it wasn't easy. It was like, you know, I learned, I learned why. Because it's like, you, you get a lot of the same problems as a, as a 
underfunded indie because you're still fighting for days, fighting yeah. for schedule. Um, but no, I, I'm really proud that this movie kind of it, it actually did take on some kind of like a, a, a punk rock mentality and that it had to rebel against some of its own people and <laughs> become what it's become. <laughs> nice. And um, it survived and I think again it's it, it somehow remained unfiltered and unnormalized and and people are responding. It's mm-hmm. been fun. I just started this, the uh, the press tour. I think it was I think it was three days ago. I'm, it's a new city every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we did we hit we hit you know, New York, Boston, Chicago, and Seattle, and the, the responses have been really encouraging. Because again, not saying my own shit is awesome. I'm just saying it is unfiltered and it is striking audiences because they're they're not used to seeing it, and I yeah. think it's really fun to see yeah real humans in a, in a traditional cinematic scenario yeah and how fun that and how volatile that that cocktail can be i want to come back to that especially focusing on on green room but just uh building off of this you know what could be next for you uh there was a recent story that i think it was april 1st that announced that fox has tapped you to direct this movie called uh defection oh yeah i can't really speak about that that okay i can't confirm or deny which is in in keeping with the spy film (laughs) but I, i wouldn't count on that one okay okay uh um, interesting. Um, Good script, though. Yeah, yeah. Ken Nolan's script. It wasn't yeah. yours. Or, well, is, would it have anything to do with that? Are you looking to script? Do, do you want to stay a screenwriter? Or no, no. no. I, I'm actually. I'm looking to direct. I'm tired as hell, man. This has been a long slog for me. You know? Yeah. I'm really pushing hard to see Green Room off and shove it off into the audience's hands because it's like it's been a two and a half year journey, and, and I will not quit until we give this the, the push it deserves because this is a film that. Yeah, the people who come up who come up to me after green room previews are not the people you'd pick out of a crowd. Say that's a green room fan, that's a punk rock nerd or whatever. It's like, yeah, the regular ass people. You know, mm-hmm. I think it could cross over. So it's, I'm just gonna keep doing this until it's out and about, and then hopefully jump on a directing gig and see what that's like. Yeah, to direct material that's not my own. Right. But I, I will always return to the writer's chair just because it is the most satisfying part of the process it's pure it's it's without limitations and it's it you know it really satisfies a part of my brain which is sort of logical and mathematic mm. um this how you can structure plots and and, and work things and solve problems and it, it's just so satisfying so I, that's what what i want to do when i have a little more time but right now i want to make some movies real fast yeah cool cool um we don't have to focus on this long, but there are, are it's not rumors. I think Macon Blair, you know, your your ghost yeah. are in this movie and you've worked with him on I think everything you've done basically. Mm-hmm. He's directing a film with Elijah Wood Here right in now. Oregon. Yeah. yeah. Right what now. What can you tell me about it, if anything? I mean, even if you're not if you're not involved in Don't Moan. Yeah, don't no, I mean not, not much. I mean I I've had to kind of unfortunately not be as involved as I wanted to be, mm-hmm. just because um, trying to get Green Room out there and, and get my next project or two off the ground I'm kind of juggling I'm in that that world of studio development where I I don't know what's what until something lands so Mm -hmm. Um, but on the other side of my next movie you know me and Macon are going to circle back and I think regroup and and keep working together cool it's going to be fun is the movie that he's doing is it have to is it a production of Elijah Wood's like Spectre Vision company is it no it's it's not not anything with that do you know the title nope neither does he let's move on it's untitled (laughs) He's got six bullets. For real? We all go once. Christ, hold off a sec. For what? We haven't done anything. It doesn't matter. Okay. They're called cartridges. The bullet 
It's a part that enters your brain if you keep talking shit. And this gun only has five cartridges, not six. Because they're big as fuck and only five fit the cylinder. So please, shut the fuck up and don't test me. You should make it worse. We sit and we wait. And we die. Not if you sit and you wait. Hey folks, it's probably worth me jumping in at this point just to warn any of you that haven't seen Green Room yet, I would recommend turning away at this point and coming back after you've seen the film. Uh, it gets a little spoilery here, nothing too major, but uh, again, you know, just, just probably worth coming back at, for this uh, second half of the podcast interview after you've seen the film. Thanks. Anton, I want to get back to you and back to Green Room is... Uh, I love this idea that you're, you know, ostensibly the sort of the lead hero of this movie, the way I see it. And uh, you're wounded first. <laughs> you're wounded really brutally in this movie. Um, talk about that idea of like you'd mentioned, you know, playing with the duct tape on your, like having that as a character thing, but maybe building off of that. Like, what's it like um, to just be like hindered right away as a character? Well, you know, when I uh, when Jeremy and I first got together, one of the things he said to me was like. Pat's the dude in the band that can die and the band will still play a gig because mm-hmm. he's the bass player. And, like, you could still play a punk rock gig with just guitar, drums, and box. You right, know? right. And that sort of says a lot about him as, as, you know, for me, when you look at this guy, he's like the philosophical core of the band. Yeah. You know, the emotional and philosophical core, the, like, thinker of the, the band. Um, and that's what's heartbreaking about it for me is that you think he's gonna die because he gets, you know, he gets shredded right away, but he's the one that has to, the thinker of the band that's always thinking about what this means to him and rationalizing that mm. um, and studying his friends has to watch, has to lose all of them. Yeah. And that to me at the core is the most heartbreaking thing about his journey, you know, and that's the thing that like propelled me through all of it and just broke my heart every time is like thinking about that and looking at that um in terms of getting wounded right away it it you know for me it's it's fun because by the time you see me and amy at the end we look like these creatures we don't even look like humans anymore (laughs) and and i love that because he basically just becomes weaker and weaker and weirder and weirder towards the end and that's just fun for me to play around with to see like how does one drag an arm that you've lost all this blood out of for right. a while? Like the practicality like, of the it. The practicality of mm-hmm. it affects what you can do with the performance. And, you know, and I get inspired by, by working with everyone around me. And, and I've worked with Amy before, and I'm such a big fan of hers. So it's inspired to see her physicality, too, and, and play off of that, you know. It's, yeah, she's a badass in this movie. Yeah, she's man. awesome. And so, 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 uh, that that those 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 two things the like emotional the, the brutality of it emotionally and then the physical brutality lead to so much to to work with in any given moment mm-hmm. and, and and like i you know i said earlier trying to find that order pat that's all pat does through the whole movie the whole time he thinks until the very end i mean it's like mm. he's the kind of human that goes through that whole journey and gets to the end and still thinks he's going to think of a way to fix this situation that seems kind of orderly you right, know right and then he sees her shoot him and she's just like oh holy shit you know but yeah, what was he thinking not too far into spoilers so, sorry 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 <laughs> i said shoot i mean we, we shoot who a lot of people who shot shot him? Well, yeah, people get, yeah. You know, hey, guns are fired sorry 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 let's <laughs> not get past the third act. okay 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 sorry 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 it's a good idea anyway things happen at the end 
and which Pat thinks he can still fix the mm. whole time. Sorry, Jerry. And I forgot this is a podcast. <laughs> Sorry. And uh, that, like playing with that, is really fun. And not fun. It's heartbreaking actually because hoping for order when it never comes is a really brutal thing. Yeah. You know? And I think that's it's something. Life, pal. Well, I was just gonna say that. I was gonna say literally, <laughs> it's something that we all do. Like right. we're all organizing our lives right. with this tremendous fear that that we're going to nothing and we come from nothing. Like, mm. That knowledge is like really heartbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Uh, well, I'd like to build off of like, because I know you're a fan of the violence, the the, the, the gore, the makeup effects and things mm-hmm. like that. I think I've read that you're most comfortable kind of in that realm mm-hmm. as a filmmaker. Um, and just, uh, I guess, talk about maybe that scene right there where his arm, I mean, you, you keep us from seeing it, using the door brilliantly, the way you mm-hmm. block the scene. We don't know what's happening to Anton in the scene. We know it's really bad. It's, it's brutal. And yeah. then the reveal. Like, talk, um, were there movies that, you know led you to that way of sort of, you know... Flash Gordon, out. of course. <laughs> Naturally, yes. when When he puts his arm in that tree stump, that <laughs> freaked me out. It was one of my first cinematic memories of all time. Oh, that's cool. Um, I never would have guessed that Flash Gordon yeah. would have been there. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a direct, these aren't direct references. No, yeah, They're just like these things that, that scare me, you know? I'm, but that's I'm, what I'm, I'm a dog about. lover. Yeah. And I put... But then my one of my family members got bit by a dog, got attacked by a dog, and it scared me. Oh, yeah. So this is a lot of, like, just me transferring nightmares onto the audience. Um, there's a brutal uh, knife sequence, you know, in, in the movie that's directly related to something I saw accidentally on television, on like on a basic cable show. They oh showed gosh. some prison documentary, and someone was getting stabbed in the head, and okay, and and, and the knife stuck in there, and boy, did it, I mean, it, I, I'll never forget it. Yeah. And so I had to kind of use that and transfer that. Um, so there's all these a lot of things are based on real things that I've seen, including Anton's um, wound. Arm. The mangled arm is like you know that's from some UN footage I saw, and I wanted to get rid of those things and to put them on screen and to turn them into entertainment is cathartic for me. Yeah, um, and it's it's not like all trauma. I just it just how to how to purge these things and how to make them into art, and, ha- and then you can see them enjoyed collectively with an audience. And all your references and baggage, and also have lots of wonderful stories growing up in the punk rock hardcore scene that I've integrated into this into this movie. So mm-hmm. and it's 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 the thing. It's like <coughs> Blue Ruin was very well received, and I had to learn to talk about it in a political way because mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of agendas. Um, and Green Room is it, it comes across like it's a throbbing fucking genre movie, man. It's brass tacks exploitation at its mm-hmm. purest. Mm-hmm. There's actually more of a political infusion into Green Room than there is Blue Ruin. Yeah, um, it's just it, it, there's a, a heavy veneer of entertainment and just kind of escapist fun. Mm. Um, are you no, sorry? Are you hinting at the idea? Like it's just sort of briefly noted that these a lot of these neo-Nazi guys are in fact like Iraqi soldiers. They were soldiers in Iraq, right? I mean, that's well, no, that's not really part of that story. Okay. But but it, but, it, but it's more about like you know critiquing the mainstream political climate um, and integrating that into this more esoteric. You know, ultra left wing group in the yeah. middle of Oregon, but it's not so much about the ideology; it's about how ideology is used, how it's employed from the top of the food chain down to the bottom, and from the uh, skinhead soldiers to the, they're calling the brute squad here mm-hmm. to the uh, to the pit bulls who cause so much carnage. There's a thesis about who we are at our core, and it's surprisingly a very positive one. But it's, but the structure and the, the political undertones are actually much more 
buried within Green Room than than Blue Ruin. Okay. Um, so you know, I don't want to go promoting it as a political film because that's real boring. <laughs> it is. A but there's layers, way. man. There's layers. There's layers, but it's supposed to be. You know, I don't want people to really know too much about them when they experience it because the actual point of the film is to create a cinematic experience that will make your heart beat faster and that will become one of the most intense movies of the spring, mm-hmm. hopefully the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to, to have this experience of surviving something. Because I think despite all the brutality and the tension and the gore and the carnage, the elation of just coming out of that theater, having survived the experience... Is what I'm after, and I think yeah. that's that. So far, is is what's taking hold. Yeah, it's palpable for sure, man. Like in yeah. my two experiences of watching it so far, it's it's definitely there. Um, you know, for my last question, I just like a you know from both mm-hmm. of you yeah. uh, that that last line. I don't think we'll be giving anything away, but that last line that Imogen has in response to Anton wanting to declare what his desert island desert island band is. It's such a great callback, a little cr- uh, like a crumb you dole out throughout the movie. You know, yeah. like the other band members finally get real, and one of them admits that Prince w- is in fact there. I love yeah. that idea of like sort of letting your guard down when the shit hits the fan. People are really just going to be like, this is the thing that means the most to me. I love that there's that idea there but I think it says a lot that you don't want to give that away yet as a kid it's like one of these minor character details that you put in you know you fill the movie with but just talk about uh, Anton maybe to start like that idea of uh, just playing that scene out and ending on a really great for me it's a great laugh when she when Imogen I, I gives I actually don't want to talk about the last line of the okay. movie okay. except for in an abstract way sure sure I, but, I, but I, I can just it's sort of guiding us like I think one of the one of the themes of the film is about who we think we are yeah. and, and the perceived labels and our outward projection of what we want to be and what we think is cool and will be accepted. And there's a theme about yeah, you know, who's who's your favorite band, um, and that that morphs over the course of the movie and it has to do with uh, the, the 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 sort of amateur ain't right punk band trapped in the green room and the more seasoned skinhead soldiers. On both sides, we strip them of their ideology and affiliation and their labels. Um, and as the film progresses, everyone becomes just a human or a canine, yeah. whatever it is. And, and and by the end, there's there's an exhaustion and and a beauty in, in the revelation of, of who we really are. And abstractly, I kind of I, I don't know. I think that's a wonderful way. Yeah. thing to say I don't know that I want to say anything after that yeah no, fair <laughs> enough man I mean it's almost not fair when he puts it so beautifully yeah like that's that. what I mean well then let's uh, let's just call it there um, uh, I just want to thank both you guys for like being so generous with your time for coming cool, to Oregon course, and for oh, yeah. actually um, as a, I've only lived here for about six years but for making a good movie in Oregon actually, <laughs> a movie that's about loving movies that's what I appreciate you doing yeah. here um, so thank you both for that uh, for coming on the podcast Yeah.